You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. What's the most blue collar work you've ever done? I was a ranch hand in college. Longhorn ranch? Yeah, it was, um, you know, working with cows, feeding animals, um, moving around, working on tractors, plowing fields, all the stuff you might imagine. Did you like it? It was really fun. Yeah. I had some work that I did in that, you know, I, I did uh, lawn mowing work for years. I did, you know, installed fences. I uh, worked for a fence company and kind of cut my, almost cut my finger off. Uh, did some roofing a little bit one summer, which was not a fun thing to do in Texas. And what it made me realize for me, it may be different from your experience where you said, oh, I love that it. it was fun, was that it motivated me to find a different path. It was, it was good to do because I realized I wasn't good at it. I didn't, I, I just didn't have the skills there. Mm. That wasn't where my skills lie. If you had it to do over, do you think you would have gone to college or do you think you would have pursued uh, something different? I, I wouldn't have gone to college. I don't know that it would have changed my career path. I yeah. think that I would have, who knows, but right. I, I could easily do the work that I'm doing now without a college degree. No client has ever asked me did you go to college? Where did you go to college? Did you get the right degree? Yeah. Uh, let me know so I can decide if I trust you. That never happens. Everything that I've learned about how to, uh, you know, the financial planning world, it, that came after college or before college. True. Now, a little bit of that is biased because I, you know, working in your company, I was able to be so far ahead of my peers in college on this topic. Right. You know, I didn't necessarily know anything about anything else, but when it came to the financial planning classes that I took, I got, you know, I got a 4.0 GPA if that those were the only classes I ever took. Uh, and I don't think I read the textbook. I was tutoring half the class, getting an A, and I'm, you know, back in the back row playing on my Yeah, by, by the time you got to college, you'd been in the I financial planning industry for, you know, five or six years. Yeah, yeah, I knew. That was something I knew about. So I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have needed college yeah. um, to be to be doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. Would have saved me, uh, saved, saved, uh, Save some money and save some uh, time for sure. Yeah, I would have appreciated that. Yeah, well, you know, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest today is uh, an expert both in blue collar work and uh, not going to college, I guess. Ken Rusk is a best selling author, entrepreneur, and blue collar advocate, showing that there's no degree required for comfort, peace, and freedom. He spent his younger years digging ditches. And working in construction, he never went to college. Instead, he met his goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now, Ken's a thriving entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. He specializes in mentoring coaches in goal-setting, life visualization, career decisions, sound financial planning. He leads people to achieve their dreams regardless of their educational background. We talked about some great topics today, debunking the myth that white-collar work is the only way to live comfortably and retire well, the reason that everyone needs to draw their life on paper, like literally draw it, making decisions that lead to comfort, peace, and freedom, and recognizing outdated ideas about blue-collar work. So stick around. Um, if you've already gone to college, so this may be helpful for the next generation that's going to look to you for guidance. So stick around, learn a little bit. I'm Sanger Smith, as always. I'm with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly.
got connected because you, you really got a passion for um, kind of promoting the, a, a kind of a blue collar career path in in sort of a, a different career path than what we typically hear about. You know, you've got to go to college and get a job and work there for 35 years and those types of things, which was the narrative when when I was growing up. And I think you and I are about the same age. So it was, it was sort of everything everybody preached to us. And I think we're shifting as a as a culture where there's this opening as we look at the increase of cost of college. We look at how we, how we consume entertainment and people are kind of seeking out how uh, people are working and looking at ice road truckers, uh, deadliest catch. There's this real sort of interest in getting back to our roots, getting back to working with our hands and doing that. And you've got a real passion for that. How did that start? And when I went to high school, and, and again, I, I graduated in 82, but when I was 15 in 1980 or 79, whatever it was, when our teacher in, in econ class said, you know, raise your hand if you're going to college, only half of us did. And that was normal because half of us were going into a business or they were going to work in the factory or they were going to do something else. So in, in, in my school, small town Ohio, it was only a 50%. And, and college was not billed as absolutely essential back then. It became that way probably five or 10 years after that, where it was like, it's college or else. And that's never been true. It isn't true now and it won't be true tomorrow, certainly tomorrow. But for me, it was all about, you know, I, I, I shared a, a, my high school shared a fence with an industrial park and I used to cut through the hole in this fence to go to the carry out after school. And I would see all these businesses that were like hustling and bustling and whatnot. And I needed money like anybody else. I wanted to buy my first used car, take my girlfriend out for pizza or whatever. So I went and started digging ditches when I was 15 and um, moved up within the company. I dug ditches in, in the summertime and in the winter I worked in the office and I kind of learned the whole business. And uh, I moved up to the point where at 19, they said, what are you doing? Are you going to college or what? And I said, well, why? And they said, because we have an opportunity for you to open up businesses all around the country as franchises for us. We're going to start franchising this business. And I said, well, so I can make mistakes with other people's money opening a business, right? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? And um, <laughs> yeah, they sent me all around the Midwest opening up businesses. And to me, that was as college as college was ever going to get because I didn't want to sit in, in the classroom for four more years. There was no way I was going to do that. And um, the more that happened and the more I saw shop class after shop class disappear. And then you see, you know, kids aren't playing in the yards anymore. They're playing on these stupid screens all day long. And they're not getting the practical life experiences of how to plant a tree or change a tire or rake a bed or do anything. It started to get me like, I get a little concerned. And, and now you've got this trifecta where those two things occurred and, and the colleges are saying, hey man, it's me or nothing else. You're going to be a fast food worker the rest of your life. And that's just not true. But they kind of have a monopoly on our thinking right now. And we have to swing that pen pendulum back, like you said, towards a, a center, more balanced economy. It was definitely the narrative that I was fed when I was in high school. I'm 30 years younger than Sean. So I graduated high school around 30 years after you as well. And the narrative very much was you need to get into college. If you don't go to college, you're going to be a loser. If you don't go into the preferred college that you want to go into, you're, you're going to be a loser still. Um, and I, it didn't seem like that was true to me at the time, but I did end up going to college. And part of the reason why I went to college was 
I was told, and I can't remember by who, but it was probably by many, many people, uh, many adults in my life, that, hey, if you don't know exactly what you want to do right now, you go to college so you can figure it out. So, Ken, when you were senior in high school, getting ready to go out into the world, did you know what you wanted to do? Did you have an image or a vision of what your life would be like, or did you find it along the way? Well, I'm, I'm glad you said the word vision because... First off, it was okay to have that mindset going to college back when it was $7,000 a year, okay? But college, the rates of college have outpaced inflation like 50 to 1, and nobody can explain why that is because their costs haven't gone up 50 to 1 like every all the other costs have gone up. So you can't afford to have that mindset these days. I mean, if you're going to pay 40 or 50 grand a year to go to school— you damn well better know why you're going, what you want to do, what you want to study, and sure as heck what you're going to get out of it job-wise when you leave because we're saddling these people with not fifteen dollars or $20,000 in debt like we did back then, but with $200,000 in debt now to just learn what you want to do? I don't think so. So for me, it was all about control. I knew that I could go out and I could work and I could control my input, my output, the quality of that output, my time, my day, my schedule, and my financial gain. So I knew what I wanted my life to look like because I began to draw it out. Like, what kind of house do I want? What kind of car do I want? What kind of vacations do I want to take? What kind of sports do I want to be involved in? What do I want my family to look like? What kind of pets do I want? What kind of charity moments do I want to use? Were Were you literally writing these down? I was actually drawing it. You you could draw it and you could create a poster, almost like a life brochure, if you will. Because I knew that the more I wanted something, the more I saw it, the more I became attached to it, almost obsessed by it. And then I naturally just kind of walked towards it. And um, I was talking, to, I hate to name drop, but I was talking to Jarek Robbins the other day, who's the son of Tony Robbins. And one of the things that he said was there's actually science behind that. It's not just the law of attraction or, you know, some vague term. But if you're staring at a silver pickup truck or you have this brochure, and I've done this, and you look at this thing often and long enough and and multiple times, your brain starts to fire these little electrodes back and forth. And pretty soon it creates one stream of thought where you actually think you own that already. And then what happens is because you don't, your brain kind of puts you into this automatic mode of trying to find a way to go get that thing. It's enormously yeah, that, powerful. That is, that is really true. There is a, uh, a study done, I, I think you, you probably heard this study, where the the kind of famous marshmallow study done back in the early 70s where they gave kids a marshmallow and they said, hey, wait, we're going to go out of the room and don't eat the marshmallow. And if you save it, we'll, when we come back, we'll give you a second marshmallow. And... Some of the kids did and some of the kids didn't. And they found that those kids who had impulse control and waited did better in many aspects of their life moving forward. And what they did later is they put a sec, put the reward marshmallow out on the table in front of the kid as well. They found that that worsened their impulse control. They then replaced that actual marshmallow with just a picture of one. And the results stayed the same. In other words, the kids had less impulse control when they had just a picture of the reward. And it, it sort of spoke to me that says, you know, this visualization that, you know, kind of what you were just saying actually goes inside and changes our brain to we actually, it, it is real to us. 
as we visualize things. Um, you were you mentioned I can't remember if this was in your book or if you just if I heard you say it somewhere. You were talking about having people create that vision or sort of draw it out with a crayon. Did that? Did I hear that right? You did, and and the reason I did that was because. I can still, if I op- if I I can still smell the box as you opened up that brand new box of crayons uh-huh. when you went to grade school. The last time I had a crayon in my hand, and I'm assuming it was like this for most people as adults, was when they were five or four or five years old, six years old maybe. And they were at their most creative point of their lifetime because they had no job. They had, they had no, 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 they weren't really in <laughs> school yet. They were just kind of like, learning to be kids and and loving life and stress-free. And so they could get real creative on how to draw a rocket or a horse or a sunshine or whatever it was. So I purposely introduced crayons to the the folks here because it gets them back to that super stressless, creative time in their lifetime where they can sit down in a dark, you know, dark, quiet place and say, what do I want my life to look like in all these aspects? Because you're, you're really building a brochure for your life. And I know that you, you said you and I are about the same age. You know, back in the day when you went to the dealership to buy a car, they gave you this brochure, right? And you took the brochure yeah. home and you just studied it and you studied it and you studied it and you opened and closed this thing forever. And you just downloaded all this information, this, this visual pictorial information into your brain. And they did that on purpose because they wanted you to live it. They wanted you to be that guy in that pickup truck, you know, riding down the street right. with the hay bales in the back. And and they wanted you to imprint that. All I'm saying is if we can do that with a car or a vacation, why can't we create a brochure for our life and then let the power, the untapped power of our brain go to work for us and do it almost subconsciously? I mean, you, you just can't discount how enormously effective that is. Yeah, I, I used to do presentations uh, years ago where I would have a jar of you know, red crayons or something, and I'd give everybody a blank piece of paper. And I would do something very, very similar. I would say, what I want you to do is to visualize your, we were, they were retirement seminars, I want you to visualize your retirement and draw it out with this red crayon. Now, the, the point I was making as a financial advisor is I was going to move that into a discussion about wouldn't this drawing be more vivid if you had more colors uh, and we could use different, uh, we could use watercolor, we could use different colors and wouldn't it be a better, more visual representation of what you, what you would want. And the, the point was to kind of move into an investment diversification discussion. And so I did it one time and this guy would just kind of sit there and he folds his hands. He's not really interested in doing it. You know, I didn't come here to draw with crayons. I came here to you know, learn about investment, you know, analytics and so forth but another guy in the in the seminar right after that uh you know many people would draw you know themselves on a little island or on a beach or golfing or you know in a boat fishing whatever they would do and it didn't really go you know it wasn't super insightful it was where some one person just kind of drew a tree and i felt i'm just gonna call them out on this why are they just drawing a tree i said oh tell me about i see you just drew a tree to represent your retirement. Why did you draw a tree? And this guy said, well, because it represents solid roots that I've planted in my community, but that I'm always seeking growth for the benefit of others, whether you use that tree for food or shade or ultimately for building 
just to create something long lasting. And I was like, holy crap, dude. <laughs> and it really brought it home. Like and I started ovation. using that. You're like, you're like, hey, yeah, I was like, wow, down. you know, you can really take the simplest exercise. And I started using that in that way with the crayons because you can't get detailed. You have to stay high level. You have to right. stay big picture with that, with, with something like a crayon. Do you use, I know you, you have a, a, a large construction company. Do you, do you use this type of exercise with the people in your company to get them thinking about visualization for themselves? We, we, we started doing that and then we kind of morphed it into, um, now we have these, it's for the lack of a better word, it's like a huge black glass uh, board. It's eight feet by eight feet. And we use these markers. These are they're they're like uh, neon markers, like you'd see at a Mexican restaurant announcing the margarita special of the day, right? So yeah. they actually write these goals on the board because it's one thing to have something that you're dreaming about, wishing about, hoping for, or visualizing. It's another thing to put them on an actual path to completion. So what we do is we get them to draw something in their mind or on paper, however they want to do it, and we encourage them to take that home and put it somewhere where they're going to be able to see it two or three times a day. And then what we do is we take it a step further, and let's say someone wants to go to Scotland. I had someone who wanted to go to Scotland to visit their their aunt. Okay, let's put that onto a path, okay? So that trip's going to cost you, let's say, $3,000, okay? And you need that much money to make that happen. So uh, 3,000 divided by, let's say, 104 weeks is about $26 a week, okay? And in two years, you're going to go visit your aunt, for sure. And so we put it on the board, and we we take the starting date, we take the amount of money they're saving each week, we take the time it's going to take for them to finish that, we have them sign the end date and then sign, put their signature there, and then they write out what it is, and then all they got to do is breathe, and this is going to happen. I mean, all they have to do is, is just come to work every day, and this will happen. So it's a really cool exercise because there's no such thing as a goal. There's either a path or there's nothing. And for me, if you're not on a path to an active goal, then you're just wishing and dreaming and hoping. And, you know, unless it hits you in the face, it's never going to happen for you. I like what you said, that there's no such thing as a goal to see their path or nothing. That's something that frustrates me about my industry, the financial planning industry, which tells people, hey, we help you meet your goals. Problem is, most people are sitting around with no even dream of a goal. (laughs) It's not that people have a list of five to 10 goals and they are missing the advice and wisdom and guidance on how to achieve them. That's not the problem. The problem is most people don't have goals at all. And so what they're doing is they're feeling uh, an emptiness or they're feeling a lack of something that they can't even describe. And so the role of a great advisor is to say, to notice that, say, hey, you're missing something. I'm going to help you imagine what it is and then aim at that thing and then set goals to measure the progress toward this vague uh, image that you have in your mind now. Um, so I love that. Goals, you know, the, having a three-story house for the sake of having a three-story house is ultimately meaningless, but if it's a part of a more beautiful, clear picture that you've drawn, uh, then then it becomes really motivating. So your construction company that you started, 
was a really became very, very successful. Was it something, was that something that you had a clear vision for before you started? I mean, did you do the crayon exercise and realize you start, you wanted to start this company or was there another pathway that got you there? Well, first off, I, I thought for a second that I was just, you know, I was just an insightful 23 year old. I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe you just got it together because you know what you want your life to look like. I mean, I, I, I didn't want to believe that, but I was like, can I get other people to think this way? I don't know. And just by happenstance, one of my first employees, and I've been in business 37 years, he's been here 36 and three quarter years, <laughs> okay? Um, one of my first employees came to me and he was in trouble and he, he, he had a brand new wife and she was having trouble with a pregnancy and some medical bills and he lived in this apartment and he just was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to plan. And I said, well, let's just sit down and figure it out. So we literally took markers, okay, and we took a piece of paper and we just started drawing in circles, you know, like he wants a new pickup truck and he wants to build a house and he wants to do, wants to have space for his kids and he wants to get rid of these medical bills. And we, we started to just put these into places of like six-month goals, you know, a, a year goals, three-year goals, five-year goals, 10-year goals. And we just started knocking them down one at a time. And to this day at the Christmas party, he wants to come up. He's a huge guy. He wants to come up and give me this big bear hug and tell me that he owes everything to me. And I'm like, no, I had maybe 2% to do with this. You had the other 98%. We just kickstarted the vehicle. We turned things into paths, not, not wishes or dreams or hopes, right? We didn't wait for life to happen to you. We happened to life. And I know that's cliche, but it's absolutely true. And I think I think what what you said earlier is interesting because I can get inner city kids to dream to, to 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 draw things like this. This morning I was on the phone with a woman's prison, and there's 15 or 20 uh, female inmates that I have them drawing pictures of what they want their life to look like, and and it works. It's something that anybody can do. You know, Elon Musk is an amazing human being, and so is Tim Cook, and so is Bill Gates, and so is Stephen Jobs, and all those guys, right? But if you think about it, what they have the ability to do is to really, really take advantage of the visual side of their brain that most people don't. Most of us are reactionary creatures. You know, we go outside, it's cold, so we put a covering on it because we're reacting to the cold. We're hungry, so we go find food because we're reacting to that, that stimulus. How many of us can say that we're proactive people, right? I, I, I found this, this study, it's in the book, it's, it's an amazing study. Um, Virginia Tech did this thing. They took 100 people. They put them in a the room. They said, raise your hand if you have crystal clear goals. Only 20 did. They got rid of the 80 people. They said, okay, of the 20, how many of you have your crystal clear goals written down? Only four admitted to having them written down. So they got rid of the 16. They said, okay, of the four of you, how many of you have those goals posted somewhere where you see them every day? Only one person. And then they tracked those people over the next 10 years and that one person made nine times more money than the rest of them just because they allowed the power that's already in this computer, this very underutilized computer called your brain, to use that power to work for you instead of against you, right? Positive emotion, negative emotion. So I'm sitting here thinking to myself, well, if I can do that with this gentleman, we can create a whole bunch of people that are entrepreneurial thinkers around us. And that's what's driven my company so far. 
and, and, and to such higher highs. I mean, we started with six people. We have 200 now. And um, I, I owe it to the collective thinking of what's in it for me to work here. You know, I want to work for me first and you second, Ken. Fine. Let's go make that happen. But we're going to need a picture to, to lead us along the way. You know, I, I like the entrepreneurial aspect of it. You know, as, as Sanger and I, as entrepreneurs ourselves, we think about this all the time. We talk about it all the time. I want to go back to the the, the point where you decided to, to kind of focus on this path of entrepreneurial work, uh, primarily in the, in the trades, as opposed to, I don't want to say it's anti-college, but as, as a different path from sort of a traditional go to college, go work for a Fortune 500, you know, the white color path. When you look at somebody who is at that decision point and saying, should I take the traditional path of formal education and moving in that direction, or should I take a path of sort of moving into trades, moving into my own business, uh, kind of getting my hands dirty and making my, my livelihood that way, so to speak. How does somebody decide, in your estimation, which path is going to be right for them? What, what is the calculus there? It, it's, it's real simple. I mean, I, I, I hate, to, over, I hate to, to oversimplify it, but I don't want to overcomplicate it. Why are you doing it? Like, what's the end game for you to go to college? What's the, what, I, I, I want to know what the end game is, okay? If the end game is that you want to become a scientist so you can cure cancer, fine, go do that. Rock and roll. Have a great time. If the end game is you just want a better life, well, whoa, whoa, wait, time out. Tell me what that means. Like, we all want a life. We all want a better life. But listen, we're not on this planet for 90 years so we can live to work, right? We're, we're on this planet to work so that we can live. Well, let's talk about what living means. Because if I can figure out what you want your life to look like first, at least that opens up many paths that there are to get there. And, and I say this, and guys, I, I got to tell you, it, it can be controversial, but I absolutely believe it. I don't think it's always so important what you do for a living as it is what you do with what you do for a living. And what, what I mean, mean by, by that? that is ditch digging was absolutely number 99 out of a list of 100 things that I wanted to do for myself. I wanted to be a race car driver. But I knew that it was a means to a very, very financially rewarding end. And I could create a lot of wealth doing this. So did I eventually become a race car driver? Yeah. I mean, I don't race NASCAR, but I have a bunch of cars and I race them on the track on the weekends with my buddies and I still got that itch. I still was able to scratch that occupational itch. So I would tell you this, I would say, if someone's at that, at that Y in the road, I would say sit down, figure out what you want your life to look like, and then ask yourself, does that picture depend on a four-year degree? Because if it does, go for it. You want to be a super rich doctor, then yeah, then go spend 350 grand and go be a surgeon or whatever. But that's a specific path. If it doesn't, then I would say, hey, there are all kinds of amazing occupations where you get to do all those things that I mentioned earlier in a controlled fashion, right? Working for yourself, loving your life, being outside. There's all kinds of ways to make an absolute fortune. And the reason I say that is because the reason that most people don't think blue-collar people make any money is because they never asked them. Because there yeah, are but- unbelievable 
amounts of money out there to be made in the, in the blue collar world. I mean, well, I, I, I can tell you from personal experience, the, the, the clients that I've worked with over the years, one of my wealthier clients, uh, mm-hmm. would come to our meetings, sit in our lobby of our wealth management office, wearing, uh, you know, tennis shoes, dirty blue jeans and a pearl snap shirt. And he was one of the wealthier guys. I know. <laughs> Uh, another one I, I, I know comes in and he's got dirt on his boots because he runs cattle, but wealthy guy. What's your experience, Singer? With- yeah, I mean, the, the, I know that the, you obviously can make a lot of money in virtually anything. From from clients to uh, other business owners that I know, there's an endless way to make money. And when I talk to them, most of them will tell you that making money is really easy. Keeping money is a lot more difficult. Um, so I think that's a myth, you know, and it's perpetuate the, the myth that you have to go to college to be successful is obviously a myth. People will fight against that or defend the myth by saying, well, if you look at the averages between people who go to college and don't go to college, uh, the people who go to college end up earning more money. And what I would say to that is, sure, you're 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 including in the non-college bucket a lot of people who wouldn't have made any money whether they went to college or not. Maybe they weren't competent enough to get to college. They weren't motivated enough to go to college, but college wouldn't have been the reason why they wasn't the reason that they're not successful. Um, and so they get lumped into the group and to the statistical data set of people who didn't go to college. But I think that the, we got to look at where's the message coming from that we've got to go to school and it's coming from the schools. themselves. you know, uh, the, the loudest person in my life when I was a high school senior telling me to go to college was the the college counselor who was employed by the school. So the education system wants me to go to college. That's going to be a pretty hard uh, narrative to fight against. So I really am happy that you're doing that. When I talk with clients who are preparing to pay for their children to go to college, it's become more and more difficult for me as a professional to navigate those conversations because 30 years ago, it was much more affordable. And now even to an upper middle class family, there you have three, four children, college is simply out of reach. The idea that you are going to pay for all four of your children to go to college and graduate with zero debt because that's what your parents did for you in the 80s is uh, it, it's it's really not possible for most people who have that dream if what they want for their children is to go to a four-year um, you know, inst- university, live on campus, and pay full tuition. And I've noticed that a lot of families are unwilling to compromise on the experience of college in order to make it financially successful. So I'll tell them, hey, you know, how can we make this less expensive? Well, we could, um, you could, you know, move the burden of the loans to your child. It's their degree, at least, you know, that's one way. There's no loans for your own retirement, but there at least are loans for college education. Uh, you could lower the cost of school. So don't look at Vanderbilt and SMU, look at the state schools. Oh, if we're, the state schools are too expensive, we could look at community college or even state schools have varied pricing. You know, here in Texas, Texas State is a lot less expensive than the University of Texas. Uh, or again, or community college, online college for two, three years and then graduated at a university if that degree and that diploma is so important. Um, and I find that people don't really take that up. <laughs> People are unwilling to compromise because they still believe in the myth that you're talking about, that they've got to go uh, to XYZ University to be successful. Yeah, I, I wrote 
I wrote an open letter to parents. It's on my website. And I said, listen, I understand that you birthed your child, you clothed your child, you fed your child, you sheltered your child, you raised your child, you educated them as much as you could, you sent them to school, you protected them as much as you could. And now somehow you think the only way you can be deemed a successful parent is if they have a degree hanging on their wall. That has never been true, ever. It only is now because you're being brainwashed by billion-dollar corporations to say it's us or else. I mean, when I think of the big, the big heart, the Ivy League schools who have eighty billion dollars in their endowment fund, and you ask them why do they have that, and they can't answer the question. Oh well, we have it for scholarships. Wrong. You could give everyone free college for the next 100 years and you'd never run out of money uh, unless you're going to build 50 more campuses the size of the one that you have. You still wouldn't run out of money. OK, so, you know, if your college is paying your football coach nine million dollars a year, you know, you have to think about is this more of a show or is this really intended to educate your kid? The other thing you have to think about is. Is your goal a happy kid or is your goal an educated kid? And those are not mutually exclusive. So I look at it this way. Okay, so, and I've seen kids that have gone through this. So I get out of high school. I start in a construction job. I make between fifty and 75000 a year right off the bat. So let's just call it fifty. Fifty times four years of that is 200000 Or I could send my kid to school, pay 50000 a year, hopefully not borrow that money, and have a $50,000 negative on my asset base by the time I'm 23. That's a $400,000 swing from one extreme to the next. So I'm just telling you, parents, at least think about that before you automatically shove your kid into a school when you know damn well he'd be better off being a carpenter, maybe having his own construction company, and killing it. Okay. There, a friend of mine went to college for four years before dropping out to start his own plumbing company. <laughs> so <laughs> I hear did, that all the time. The worst of both. <laughs> I hear that. I the hear that all the both. time. I, I mean, and again, you know, I've been very fortunate. I'm very blessed, and I'm very grateful. But no one's ever rolled up into my driveway and seen what I've accomplished and went, "Wow, man, what degree do you have?" I mean, no one's ever asked me that. Yeah. They, they might say, "How'd you grind this life out?" I'm happy to tell them that, but. Yeah, it's it's People a fallacy, ask that, um, and we just got to break less it. and less over time. But I, I there's a couple of things that parents tell me that I w- I'm curious what your take is. And it, one is, well, okay, but I want my child to go be. They're into, they're 18 years old. They graduated high school. I want them to be independent and and get on with their life. And college is a pathway that will allow them to move out of my house and get on with it. If they go work, I don't want them to live at home, and they can't afford. To pay for rent in this city, it's twenty five hundred bucks a month for a one bedroom apartment. Well, I I would simply say this. I mean, it, it it's not all that way. Okay, if they're eventually going to face that twenty five hundred dollar apartment fee somewhere, but I don't know. I mean, I have two hundred employees, and they're not all paying twenty five hundred dollars a month to live. So I I think maybe in certain areas, yeah, that might be that might price them out of it. But what are you going to do? You're going to send them off to a very expensive school, have them load up on debt, and then they're going to have that on top of the $2,500 rent payment they're going to have to make? I mean, 
you know, I hate to say this, but parents are, they are the traffic cops here between that overzealous college salesman and their child. And they have the ability, they have the ability to, to use that power to create what's ultimately an independent, self-reliant, critical thinking person. I would also say this, if you're waiting until your kid's 18 to teach him or her how to live on their own, you probably missed the boat there by about five years, okay? And there's a lot of other things you could have done in the last five years to make him or her a little more independent than they currently are. Like, you know, get him a part-time job, teach him how to cook, teach him how to, you know, do their basic checkbook and all the things that life brings us. So, yeah, I, I kind of push back on that because colleges aren't meant to raise your kids. Um, certainly, if you've seen some of the colleges like I have and what the kids do there, they're, they're doing the opposite of being raised. But it, it's, an, it's an interesting dichotomy because if, if your kid's living in a very expensive place, then, yeah, you have to make choices about his or her future. How are you going to make that work? So one of the things you mentioned, you know, kind of looking through your your book earlier, and you you talk about when making a decision to advance forward towards a vision like that, having a clear vision, obviously is important. You talk about having the right mindset to advance forward, whether it's moving through in in sort of a blue collar path or moving through in a more traditional path. What do you mean when you talk about the mindset, and what do you what are you thinking about when you reference that? Well, well, first off, if you ask. Let's say you went into a crowd of people right now. Could you? Could would you be able to know what anyone's favorite color is? I mean, you, you, no. you wouldn't. Okay, you wouldn't be able to know what their favorite car is, what their favorite vacation might be. I mean, I get this all the time. I'll ask twenty people to draw their favorite vacation, and I'll get twenty completely different drawings. I mean, some of them might have the beach in there, but the drawings are all different. Some people are hiking. Some people are sitting on the beach. Some people are windsurfing. Some people. I mean, there's all these different things. So. I guess what I'm saying is the first thing you need to recognize is that you and only you know what that nirvana would look like. I call it comfort, peace, and freedom in the book. We're not all going to chase mega yachts and McMansions and 15 cars or a, a rap star career. If you want to, have at it. But we all have our own little nirvana that we think, man, if I could live like that, that would really be cool. So the first thing I would do is I would tell people that you need to understand that you have the control of this. Nobody else does. Um, no one else can tell you how to live your life. You tell yourself how to live your life. So let's get independently thinking right then and there. The other thing is you got to drop some baggage. I mean, I write a whole chapter about how, you know, people's minds are like a five-gallon bucket. And, you know, the top gallon in that bucket is your emotions. And those are the things that people see and that you deal with on a constant daily basis. But those are choices. You got to get rid of fear and frustration. You got to get rid of jealousy and anger. You got to get rid of, you know, a, a lot of those, those those types of things, sadness or whatever. And you got to replace them with curiosity and joy and wonderment and spontaneity and, and, you know, admiration. Because those are the type, you know, admiring somebody else is a wonderful way to learn how to do something great in your life, okay, by admiring what someone else has done. Um, almost in a mentor statement, state like. So you really have to clean up your mind because if you don't, all that creativity won't get in there for you to create the picture that is going to be your life. So yeah, you got to hit the delete button and you got to start downloading those more positive emotions. But 
before you do any of that, you have to realize that this is all in your control, nobody else's. So there's a lot of money to be made in blue collar trades. And I think as more people have gone to college over the past decades, there's a, a lack of supply of tradesmen and those tradesmen are going to make even more money in the ensuing decades. When someone makes a decision not to go to college, blue collar trades are a really easy choice if they're going to forego college. But one thing I hear a lot from younger folks or parents who are considering that pathway for their kids is, hey, am I still going to want to be swinging a hammer, climbing a ladder, and using my body for work when I'm 50, 60, and my body doesn't feel like it does when I'm 18? What do you tell those people? Well, I'm, I'm the human experiment of that, okay? So if you open up any medical journal or you know, I think this was even on Time Magazine a while back. If you're born today, you are almost certainly going to live to 100 or more. And why is that? Well, because technology, nutrition, vitamins and minerals, repairing mechanisms are all light years of the, uh, ahead of where they were. Think of a football player today versus a football player who came out of, I don't know, let's say the the, the Los Angeles, the Oakland Raiders back then where they had no padding, right? And now they look like they're just broken human beings. So through the use of things like stem cells and peptides and biologics and exosomes and nutrition and technology where you're not swinging a hammer, you're using a nail gun, which is a completely different experience. It's so much easier to live a, 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 a much stronger, better, longer life in these trades than it ever has been. You know, people are doing things a lot easier than they used to do them. So you're hearing that experience from someone who is, you know, their their knowledge base comes from 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, so it's, they may be drawing on a past truth in the same way that people are, are saying you need college to be successful. Well, hey, you know, that might have been true in the 60s. A college degree made a lot of difference if you had one in the 60s. Now- it's not the case in in the same in the same way as it was. So it sounds like what you're saying is the same thing's true with blue collar work. Hey, back in back in the sixties, blue collar work meant you're lifting heavy bags and and swinging heavy heavy sticks, and that's not the case anymore. Imagine, you know, let's just take the bobcats. A bobcat can do in one day the same work as twenty guys with shovels, right? I mean yeah. so and, and that's just one example, I mean, like I said, the nail gun versus the hammer, the way people do things nowadays, whether it's pipe fitting or welding or whatever, is so different than it used to be. And it, it's it's so much, the technology is so much better. And um, the way you take care of yourself is so much better. I mean, I've done stem cells in my shoulders. It's amazing what those things can do. Uh, I'm a golfer, so I'm always trying to keep my body as, as healthy as I possibly can. And and these these other things that begin to they begin to lower the levels in your body as you get older you can find ways now to replenish those things and feel great and um, yeah it's, I, I'm, I'm really excited for the future of medicine because proactive medicine is going crazy right now versus reactive and there's just some some really awesome treatments out there I have a final question for you when you think about business owners and leaders what would you say would be your best advice on decision making for those folks Oh man, they're going to hate me for this one. I would say be as irrelevant to your business as you can, as fast as you can. 
And the reason I say oh, that is I agree because, with that. The reason yeah. I say that is because a lot of these guys go home with these prides, these badges. Man, I worked 76 hours this week. Look at me. I'm I'm tired as I I live for my business. My business runs me. I don't run it. You know, hey, honey, you should have seen all the things that I fixed and I changed and I improved and I repaired and I yelled at this guy and I did wrong. <laughs> if if you're chained to your company, you shouldn't have owned it to begin with. You open that company to do certain things for you in your life. Don't let the opposite happen. So, and the other thing is this, the more you sound or surround yourself with intrapreneurial thinkers, people who don't necessarily want to take the risk to buy 40 dump trucks like I do, but they will still want to feel like they control their department, allow those people to excel and exceed in, in within your organization because they feel like they're running the company, but they don't really own it, but you reward them as if they do. You get a group of people around you like that, like I have, get out of the way because this company's going you know, a lot further than you can take it by yourself. So drop the ego, drop the I own it, the boss thing, get the hell out of the way and um, let them drive this thing, you know, to higher highs like like you've never seen. Thanks for being here, Ken. Where can people connect with you and the work that you're doing and get a copy of uh, Blue Collar Cash? You can buy Blue Collar Cash pretty much anywhere. You know, the, the Amazons and the iBooks and the Barnes and Nobles and all those things. Um, I just recently came out with a course because, you know, I don't believe you should read a book and put it up on the shelf and then hope that you put it into play. So um, I, I, bu- <laughs> I built this course. I've seen courses for $800, 900 2 3000 No, this is $129. You get a free $25 book with it. And it forces you to take what you learned in the book and put it into play, not next week, not next month, but this afternoon. And it gives you easy plug and play things that you can do to start thinking differently about what your future is gonna look like. And um, you can get all that at kenrusk.com. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, appreciate it. Appreciate it, it It was great to talk to you. You as well. My takeaway from talking with Ken is that when we look at visualization, it is totally within our control to visualize something that's going to compel us to action and that when we do, it's it's real. He made a really good point that we, we talk about people a lot in understanding their why and he was bringing that into the decision around going to a you know traditional career path or going to a blue collar career path and understanding why you're doing it before you engage in that decision, helping your why inform your decision-making. And I thought that was really smart. My biggest takeaway was along the same lines. He mentioned that if you're considering going to college or not going to college, you need to first ask ask yourself, why am I doing this? And I think the why is important no matter what the decision is. Why would I go to college? Why would I not go to college? And if we're taking different routes in our life journey without a clear understanding of why we've turned left or why we've turned right off the main path, uh, well, we're going to end up feeling lost. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith. And this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. 
Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.